Fly low, take them. You have fun? Good. Let's go home and make supper. Welcome to the ND Outdoors Podcast. Welcome to episode two of the NDO Podcast. Again, we have our hosts, myself, Kayla Bendel, and Casey Anderson. And then this week we have Paul Bailey on. Paul is our South Central Fisheries District Supervisor, right? You got it right. Okay, yep. cool. Yeah, so we're just going to talk a little bit about um, some of our fisheries studies that we've done. We'll hear a little bit from Paul on the data from some of those and then how it might relate back to some fall fishing opportunities. So, yeah. Yeah, so Paul, where the, your district, what all do you cover in that district? Well, a little, I guess, it's a geographical district, I guess, as Kayla mentioned there in the, the intro, but I cover the south-central portion of North Dakota. So uh, the, the gem, obviously, we have here is the Missouri River, Lake Oahe, uh, that I, I get to manage. And then, uh, you know, some of the surrounding counties here, too, a little bit west of the river in Sioux and Morton counties, and then all of Burley, Emmons, uh, Kidder, and then good portions of Logan and McIntosh counties as well. Okay, do you know how many how many fishery lakes that actually encompasses? Uh, it fluctuates a little bit based on, you know, what Mother Nature gives us for the amount of water we have on the landscape. You know, what years our number of lakes tends to increase a little bit. And then, obviously, you know, drought years and winter kill can impact the number of fisheries too. But we usually hover somewhere around 95 to 105 fisheries in just the south-central portion of North Dakota. That's a few miles you got to put on. <laughs> yeah, we, we, yeah it, it, we cover some ground, but uh, it's yeah. certainly fun work. And how many staff are in that uh, district? Uh, there's two of us, uh, okay. myself and our fisheries technician, Justin Barstead. So uh, we got a lot of ground to cover ourselves, but uh, we do employ some summer uh, seasonal help as well. Uh, usually get some college kids. Uh, that's good experience for us, or good experience for them, and a big help to us mm -hmm. uh, to get all our work done we need to accomplish. Usually April through October, we're pretty busy in the field. So what's your favorite fish to go after when you go fishing? <laughs> that's... Well, I mean, it, I hate to be too much of a walleye snob, uh, like, you know, like a lot of North Dakotans are, but uh, walleye are certainly up there just because of the great opportunity that we have. But uh, uh, that's what I do a lot of fishing of spring, summer, fall. And then I really got a, a, a big itch to scratch for uh, some trophy pike, too, in the winter. Uh, I love fishing Lake Oahe, targeting some of the larger pike down there, too, and and then even hitting some of our smaller, uh, what we call our district lake fisheries. we got some extraordinary pike populations in there, and... Uh, every once in a while, I need a, a little uh, self-esteem boost with my fishing. If you're having a, <laughs> if you're struggling for a while, going pike yeah. fishing is a great way to, uh, I guess, uh, yeah. right the ship a little bit and and uh, catch some fish that's, for sure. That's why I'm a pike fisherman. That helps. Yeah, I'm a walleye fisherman about two or three times, and then I'm back to pike. <laughs> right. That's a, that's the good thing about pike because if you're found a lake that's got good numbers of pike in it, it's really hard to have a bad day of fishing. So. Awesome. Well, we're going to get into a couple of studies that we've done, um, but if you just want to talk about, like, what what is a mark recapture study and, and how did you guys go about doing those? Sure. It's a lot of the routine work that we do in fisheries management is, you know, conducting our netting surveys uh, that do give us some really good information on our fish populations. But a few of our fish populations we always like to have a little bit more information on. And so we've done a number of these uh, tagging studies on some of our more premier walleye fisheries across the state. 
Uh, there's one uh, that our Riverdale crew, uh, Dave Frieda and Russ Kinsler, are currently conducting on Lake Sakakawea. I think a lot of anglers are aware of that one. Uh, they're in, I think, year four of tagging walleye up there. Uh, Jason Lee in the north central part of the state has got a tagging study going on on Antelope Lake this year. And in the south central part of the state, uh, we, are, we tag walleye at Dry Lake here in the spring of 2022. But we've also, in recent years, done walleye tagging studies on Alkaline Lake, uh, Lake Josephine, and Rice Lake. And then uh, also conducted a very large uh, walleye tagging study uh, with South Dakota Game Fish and Parks and South Dakota State University on the, the Missouri River and Lake Oahe fishery uh, between Garrison and Oahe dams uh, just a few years ago. So uh, these tagging studies provide some really good information for us uh, on uh, the way anglers are utilizing fish in that population. Uh, uh, so one of the main pieces of information we're looking for is an estimate of exploitation, uh, and that, or the, basically the percentage of walleye that anglers are harvesting annually. Uh, that provides uh, a really good assessment for us uh, to assess if we've got uh, the current regulations that we have in place are uh, compatible with the long-term sustainability of that fishery. So uh, typically in North Dakota here, uh, it, it's amazing how similar uh, growing walleye or having a crop of walleye, say, in your lakes, is how similar it is to agricultural production. So we're, we're fortunate in North Dakota that a lot of our lakes are very nutrient-rich, are very productive uh, from a fishery standpoint. And then another thing we might be interested in is our growing degree days. Uh, you know, how, uh, how long our summers are here uh, increases the productive capacity of those fisheries as well. So when you... Uh, Look at uh, the productive nature of our fisheries, the growing degree today, the growing degree days we have here. Uh, a lot of our walleye populations in the state can withstand a harvest of about a third of our walleye annually, and still be sustainable. Uh, that we have, uh, you know, that the long-term sustainability of those fish populations won't be jeopardized until we maybe exceed about a third of those walleye being harvested annually. And that also tends to produce walleye populations with a really nice, diverse size structure. If we stay below that, about third of our walleye harvested annually that, you know, we're going to have walleye fisheries with a lot of small fish, you know, some of those more medium-sized fish, and a few big fish out there as well uh, that I know some, some anglers are certainly interested in. So that's one of the really neat pieces of information we get from these tagging studies is that estimate of the percentage of walleye that are being harvested annually. Uh, but we do get, uh, you know, some additional information, you know, on kind of the seasonality of that harvest, when anglers are harvesting those fish, uh, catch and release rates. Uh, you know, a lot of anglers, you know, catch these tag fish and still release them, report them to us. Uh, the sizes of fish that anglers are harvesting and even which sizes of fish maybe anglers are more likely to harvest versus release. Uh, and then we also get some kind of neat information on, you know, potential movements of these fish uh, in our larger systems as well. So a lot of really neat information we get from these tagging studies for sure. Yeah, and we do have, seems like some of our, our small lakes are the ones that usually can grow fish the fastest in some cases, these uh, small wetlands that kind of ebb and flow in, in depth and amount of water, and that kind of makes them, I don't know, a little bit, you know, you, you've got that flush of things that habitat and everything else that they need, and so it's kind of amazing on some oh, of Oh, absolutely. It's, uh, we've got some fisheries that are really kind of off the charts as far as what they produce for, for walleye growth. And a lot of those are some of our newly formed fisheries in these wet years where you flood a lot of that terrestrial vegetation. And that really just fuels the food web in these fisheries uh, that, that produces some of those tremendous walleye growth rates. So typically in North Dakota, we think you know, a walleye reached 15 inches in length at usually around age three. Uh, in some of these fish, newly formed fisheries where we initially stock walleye on top of 
you know, lakes that are just full of fathead minnows and, uh, and aquatic invertebrates that, uh, you know, just a smorgasbord of, of, of feeding opportunities for those walleye. We have those walleye hitting 15 inches, sometimes as quickly as just 17 or 18 months. Wow. So just uh, phenomenal growth rates in some of our really productive prairie fisheries. Makes me wonder why I have such trouble catching them over 15 <laughs> inches. <laughs> it, it happens. Yeah, yeah. It's because of all those invertebrates. They don't need to. Yeah, I guess they're not hungry. That, 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 and oftentimes that is the case where we yeah. see these walleye populations developing, uh, you know, over several years and just, you know, numbers of fish, sizes of fish increasing. And, you know, finally those fish kind of get on top of that forage base, reduce forage a little bit, and that leads to some absolutely spectacular angling uh, when, when those forage numbers are reduced out there. So what is, a, is, do you always tag them in the spring? How does like the t actual logistics of the tagging study work? Sure, uh, yeah, springtime is usually okay. the best time for us to collect those fish because the walleye behavior kind of indicate dictates that those uh, sexually mature fish are going to concentrate in spawning areas, even in lakes where we don't see natural reproduction, uh, like Alkaline Lake, for example. Uh, but those walleyes are still kind of going to go through the motions and try and reproduce. Uh, so they'll seek out, you know, areas of uh, flowing water into these lakes, or if you've got nice areas of windswept gravel shorelines that might be uh, suitable spawning areas, those fish are certainly going to concentrate in those kind of places. So in most of the, the lake environments where we're trying to uh, conduct these tagging studies, our main tool that we use are trap nets in the spring. So as soon as the ice comes off these lakes, uh, we're going to start trying to collect those fish uh, that... Uh, so these trap nets basically are set near shore areas and pretty shallow water uh, that these fish cruising the shorelines looking to uh, hopefully attempt to reproduce, uh, encounter our nets, get trapped in them, uh, and then we can collect those fish out of those nets, tag them, and let them go. Uh, but in where we have more flowing water environments like the Missouri River, and we are doing our tagging study here, our main tool for collecting those fish is nighttime electrofishing. Uh, we go out after dark in areas that I think a lot of anglers are probably pretty familiar with. That's the places anglers tend to target in the spring, too, are areas where uh, these spawning walleyes tend to congregate, uh, like, uh, you know, Mouth of the Heart River, uh, Eckroth Bottoms, uh, the Double Ditch area, uh, the Heskett Plant are all places that we've had good success collecting uh, walleye for these tagging studies uh, when, we're, when we're looking for those large numbers of spawning fish. So... Nighttime electrofishing, it's basically a three-person operation. Uh, we've got a, a boat that has a, a generator on it. And basically what this boat does is allows us to take control of that walleye's swimming. So initially those fish are drawn towards the boat uh, due to that electrical field. Uh, so we've taken advantage of their swimming uh, towards uh, the, the positive anodes on the front of the boat. Uh, and then when they get too close to the boat, the electric field becomes strong enough that those fish are just immobilized. Uh, so then we've got a couple of folks standing on the bow of the, of the boat that dip those fish up, throw them in a large live well in the boat, and uh, that's how we collect fish that way. And it, it works much better at night. Uh, the walleye have less boat avoidance at night. They're less spooked by our boat. Uh, and then those fish, uh, like I think a lot of anglers have experienced themselves, walleye tend to come shallower oftentimes at night. Uh, and we can really only effectively electrofish with our boat down to a depth of about six feet. So, yeah, it's important, uh, kind of a double-edged sword there. We want those walleye coming shallow at night and having less boat avoidance. It makes them certainly easier for us to capture. That's an, that's an interesting um, technique that we have at our disposal. We, I was out with the Riverdale guys when I was a seasonal up in Riverdale, and we did the salmon electrofishing and 
it's kind of amazing how well it can work when you get in the right spot. Yeah, it's one of those. It's pretty uh, fascinating thing to watch if you haven't uh, gotten a chance to see it before or be able to participate in it. I know that was one of the more of the gee whiz wow things I experienced too when I was pretty new to the profession. That uh, getting to see the whole electrofishing process. Yeah, pretty neat. You guys have designated netters or people who have proved themselves better? <laughs> it, it, it's one, a, a lot of what we do uh, doesn't require a whole lot of athleticism. You know, I mean, setting gill nets or trap nets and that kind of thing, it's, uh, you know, it can be kind of labor intensive. But, uh, yeah, uh, you certainly do appreciate a, a good athlete uh, dipping on the front of the boat. They catch a lot more fish than uh, someone who maybe struggled in gym class, I guess. But. Well, yeah, let's dig into the data a little bit of a couple of our studies. So maybe we'll start with kind of the, I know you kind of broke them up into prairie lakes, and then separately we kind of have the Missouri River system. So, yeah. Sure. And honestly, I think Alkaline Lake is probably one of our best examples. I think it's a place that hopefully a lot of our, our anglers are familiar with. Certainly one of our state's premier prairie lake walleye fisheries. Uh, and it's a lake that certainly we were interested in from a fisheries management standpoint, given all the attention it gets from anglers, you know, to make sure that, you know, we've got the right regulations in place to, to keep it a good fishery for, for years to come. So, so yeah, in, uh, in 2019, uh, we did initiate a, a tagging study on, on Alkaline Lake. Uh, we tagged uh, just under 2,000 fish, 1,995, I guess to be exact, uh, walleye in Alkaline Lake. And all the fish that we tagged were 13 inches and larger. So I think the longest one was uh, just short of 29 inches uh, that we saw in Alkaline Lake. So our prairie lakes do, I mean, do grow some really nice fish as well. I mean, everyone thinks of you know, more Devil's Lake, Sakakawea, the Missouri River, Oahe is some of our uh, better big fish producers, but uh, there's some really, really nice fish uh, that we do see in our, our prairie lakes as well. Uh, so some of the information we were able to get from the Alkaline Lake tagging study uh, is that you know, over the, the first year that those tag walleye were at large, anglers reported several hundred of those fish back to us. And from that, we were able to estimate that anglers harvested about 22.1% of all the walleye in Alkaline Lake that year. So if you remember what we talked about just a few minutes ago, that most of our productive Prairie Lake walleye fisheries, Alkaline Lake is a great example of that, you know, can, withstand, can you know, sustain harvest levels of around a third of their fish population being harvested annually in a sustainable fashion. Uh, that was a really good number to see uh, in Alkaline Lake, that only anglers are only harvesting about 22% of the fish in that population. So uh, that points out some, uh, I guess, a really good thing to me as a fisheries manager. That means, you know, our current statewide regulations, our five fish daily limit, no length restrictions, uh, are compatible with the long-term sustainability of that fish population. So the way anglers are currently utilizing those, that fish population under our current statewide regs uh, is compatible with the long-term sustainability of the Alkaline Lake fishery. So very good news. It's just crazy when you think about how much, how many boats are out there. I know. I know. That's yeah, it, it's, a, it's certainly a very popular fishery, uh, for sure. Yeah, but uh, one other piece of information we were able to get out of this study, too, was to do a population estimate on how many walleye do we actually have in Walleye Lake that were 13 inches and larger. So and w the way we do these population estimates is say, you know, I'll try and give a simple example so I can keep the math straight in my head, I guess. But uh, so say we tagged 1,000 fish, and we go out a couple of weeks later, uh, do another netting survey, and maybe recapture 100 fish, 25 of which were tagged. So we then know that the 1,000 fish that we initially tagged represent 25% of the fish population. So in Alkaline, you know, in the Alkaline Lake example, if we tagged 1,000 fish, go out later, capture another 100, 25% of which were tagged, 
That means the 1,000 fish we initially tagged uh, re are really reflective of population size of 4,000 of those walleye, uh, greater than or equal to 13 inches. So the math obviously gets a little more complicated uh, when you uh, uh, try to figure in, you know, sometimes capturing these fish over multiple days and those sorts of things. But, uh, but that's kind of the nuts and bolts of it. So in Alkaline Lake, we were able to use that technique to estimate that there were 47,000 walleye in Alkaline Lake that were 13 inches and larger. So a pretty phenomenal number of fish out there for sure. Granted, Alkaline Lake's a big lake, you know, over a little over 6,000 acres in size, definitely one of our state's larger fisheries as well, but a uh, pretty impressive number of fish out there for sure. Does that make you feel worse about not it catching does. them? <laughs> it does. <laughs> <laughs> Paul yeah, a little, a little more humbling. 47,000 yeah. chances. Yeah. yeah, and two. Two is all I get back. Yeah, so, but, but from that, uh, you know, we know that anglers harvested – 22.1% of the walleye that were in Alkaline Lake. And we know that there were 47,000 of those walleye in Alkaline Lake, so we can do a little bit of math there too. And 22.1% to 47,000 is about 10,400 walleye that anglers harvested out of Alkaline Lake uh, during their first year uh, of this tagging study. So judging by the number of boats out there, there's people like me that it are happens. catching yep. as many. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, and, and some past creel surveys we've done, it's, it's all over the board. Obviously, there's, you know, uh, I do an awful lot of fishing myself, and we all have our days where, uh, <laughs> despite everyone else having success around you, you might struggle a little bit. But no, generally, you know, Alkaline Lake goes through those, those periods where you know, we have some of those magical weekends out there where it seems like everyone comes in with a limit, and other weekends uh, it's just not in the cards, and everyone gets to struggle a little bit. So yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So then we also took away some kind of size information as well. Uh, at least on the catch side of things. Right, and that's one, uh, I, I guess, a, a piece of information that like, a lot of anglers are interested in is, you know, are, are there times of years that are times in the year that are better for catching, you know, different sizes of fish? I think that's something that we all maybe, you know, a lot of anglers that do fish year-round kind of intuitively uh, know this or have seen this for themselves, that there's certain times of the year that are way better for catching larger fish, and other times of the year, it seems like you can't buy a big fish, but the little fish seem to be biting your lure in abundance. So uh, is that something that we all just kind of have in our head as anglers, or is there really some, <laughs> you know, truth behind it? Uh, so I was able to take a look at our alkaline data and, you know, kind of see, is, that, is there really some truth to that, that bigger fish tend to cooperate at different times of the years and other points of the year might, you know, your catch might be, is more likely to be dominated by smaller fish. And... Uh, that became very apparent in our Alkaline Lake data. Uh, so of those 1,995 walleye that we tagged, uh, their average length was about 18 and a half inches. Uh, in April and May, though, the, of the tagged fish that anglers reported back to us, uh, their average length was a little over 20 inches. So almost two inches longer on average uh, to what anglers reported back to us catching in April and May versus all of the fish that we tagged. Uh, and then another time period that uh, the, what anglers reported back to us was larger than, uh, I guess, the average fish that we tagged was in the fall. So in October, November, December, uh, the average size of fish that anglers reported to us was also uh, much larger than the 18.5. It was 19.4 inches, almost an inch larger. So uh, from our alkaline data, it suggests that spring and fall are clearly the two best times to uh, target some of those larger fish out there. Those larger fish are much more cooperative for anglers in the spring and fall. Uh, the, the kind of other interesting thing was then in the summer, 
and this is certainly what my experience as an angler tells me too, is a lot of times my July, August, kind of September catches uh, are dominated by those smaller fish. I, I, I struggle to catch uh, some of those larger fish or much, with much less frequency do I encounter those larger fish uh, during the summer months. And that was also really apparent in our alkaline, alkaline lake tagging data. So again, the average fish that we tagged, 18.5 inches. Uh, but what anglers reported to us uh, of, of those tagged fish in July, August, September, it was more close to uh, about 17 inches in length. So there really is that what anglers are perceiving out there, at least you know what I have in my fishing experience, that the best time to, to catch some larger fish is definitely spring and fall, and your summer catches are more likely to be dominated by the, the smaller fish. Uh, it's certainly apparent in our alkaline lake tagging data. So as far as your knowledge on walleye, like biology, what is your what is your opinion on why that probably is? I mean, some people are going, well, what the heck's going on there? You know? Right. Yeah. No. So I guess uh, most of us kind of in this profession are, are fairly curious people too, and, and we're fortunate that walleye are a very well studied species. I mean, they're one of North America's premier sport fish. So walleye. Uh, I guess there's a lot of really good fisheries literature out there uh, on walleye. A lot of scientific studies have been conducted over the years. Uh, and it's, I guess, uh, after a bit of literature review and, uh, I guess, based on, you know, some of my educational background and things I've learned uh, throughout the, uh, the course of my career, too, it really comes down to two things that influence uh, when different sizes of fish are most likely to cooperate with anglers. Uh, and they're, they come, it comes down to water temperature and, and hormones. So I mean, we'll take them kind of, you know, discuss maybe one at a time here. It'd be a good way, of, good way of going about it. They they both can be a, you know, slightly complex how they interact with with uh, uh, walleye and how they feed and how often they feed, which are two things. I think there are a couple of things that anglers are certainly very interested in because it really impacts your success. So uh, let me start with temperature and temperature uh, really influences most of a walleye's life. They're a cold-blooded animal. So temperature dictates their metabolic rate, uh, when they reproduce, how fast they grow, uh, how fast they digest what they eat, uh, you know, and, and their food conversion efficiency. Uh, when they're at the right temps, they convert more of what they eat into growth and size or eggs or uh, other you know, uh, testes in males. So uh, temperature is a real big factor in walleye and how well they cooperate with anglers. And... One interesting thing about walleye is the optimal temperatures for which they are more likely to feed uh, and the, you know, the number of feeding events that they undergo, uh, how quickly they can digest that food and convert that, convert that food into growth and size is size dependent for those fish. So small walleye tend to feed most frequently and feed best uh, at warmer water temperatures. So, so during their first year of life, uh, you know, from a time a walleye hatches from the egg up till, you know, in North Dakota, its first year of life, you know, it hits maybe about seven, eight, nine inches uh, in length typically. Uh, they prefer water temperatures of about 72 degrees for optimal feeding. Uh, what we call our juvenile walleyes, uh, typically those fish now, they're say maybe eight inches up to maybe 15 inches in size. Uh, those walleye tend to prefer water temperatures in the low, uh, low 70s, kind of upper 60s. You know, so maybe 68 to 72 degrees is where they uh, undergo the most feeding events and uh, best convert what they eat into growth and size. Uh, and then our adult walleye, which is what a lot of our anglers are interested in, uh, tend to prefer feeding temps in 
the low to mid 60s. So that's where they uh, have the most feeding events uh, and tend to best uh, convert what they eat into growth in size or gametes. And that's unique to wall, or like you, other species don't necessarily have that size stratification. Uh, well, it's uh, it that seems to be the case for all members of the the perch family of fishes, okay. of which we have walleye, sauger, uh, perch, uh, yellow perch are, are three very prominent members in obviously in in North Dakota here. But uh, I guess I wasn't able to uh, gather a lot of literature on you know other fish species, but it would make a lot of sense too. I think anyone who fishes for pike knows that. Uh, Oftentimes, pike don't cooperate the best during the heat of summer, but uh, they do, uh, you know, those cooler water temps in spring and fall. So uh, there's a lot of things we could infer from the, I guess, the literature on, on that exists on members of the perch family of fishes that uh, certainly would probably apply to other cool water fish in the state for sure. Which also starts to explain some of the phenomenons we see in the bigger lakes where it's, you know, you're catching them in 10 to 12 feet, and then pretty soon, a couple of weeks later, you're down in 20 feet before you find them again, and then... Right, and that's... Uh, through. Yep, a lot of our prairie lakes uh, don't uh, what we call thermally stratify. So a place like Alkaline Lake, you know, even though it, by North Dakota standards, our prairie lake standards, this is a pretty deep lake. You know, it's got over 25 feet of depth in it, but it's got all that we call a lot of fetch or a lot of width for wave action to keep the lake kind of stirred up. So Alkaline Lake is a lake that, despite... Its depth still doesn't stratify, so uh, the, it tends to be very similar in temperature from top to bottom. Other than if you, you know you get a really calm day, that you might get that little film of you know 80 degree water on top. Uh, but generally, uh, the lake is you know pretty consistent in temperature from top to bottom, even in the deeper portions of the lake. Whereas a lake like Lake Sakakawea uh, that does thermally stratify, uh, so there we do uh, tend to get you know cooler water temperatures at increasing depth. So you will have some of those fish, you know, some of those larger fish potentially uh, seeking out those more optimal temperatures, uh, maybe in offshore deeper areas as the summer progresses, uh, that those fish have the ability to, uh, you know, move around a little bit. Uh, usually don't, they won't go a great distance, uh, you, know, uh, you know, following, you know, cooler water as it, you know, maybe uh, disappears down reservoir uh, over the summer. But for sure a fish like, say, at Indian Hills on Lake Sakakawea is more likely to move you know, from a nearshore area, potentially towards a more offshore area as the summer progresses, seeking out those more optimal temperatures. I think my fishing's getting better already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Starting to figure it out. So how does, how do these, like the study that we did on Alkali Lake and the catch rates of certain sizes, how does that compare when you get into like the Lake Oahe? System. Uh, it's very similar. So I think, you know, g given the number of anglers that fish the, the Missouri River, Lake Oahe, I think they've seen that firsthand. That, and you can look into our you know, historic whopper reports, too. Uh, the whopper club in North Dakota and our catch and release clubs, I think a lot of anglers are aware of. You know, I think we initiated those clubs in the, you know, sometime in the 1960s, if I remember off the top of my head. And that, that's very apparent. Most uh, The bulk of our whopper fish are reported in the spring. You know, April, May really dominate the, the catches of our uh, or the, the number of our whopper reports and catch and release reports as well. Uh, and then we do get a little bit of a bump again in the fall. But uh, historically, uh, there's a lot of other things folks are interested in North Dakota in the fall. So our angling effort tends to dip a little bit in the fall, even though it's a great opportunity or a great time of year to catch uh, some of those larger fish. That's interesting stuff. Maybe just wrap up the, the temperature on Alkaline Lake. Uh, that's really reflective in what we saw with the angler catches out there too. Uh, those made 
or April, May water temperatures tend to be more optimal for larger fish to cooperate with anglers. Uh, so are the, you know, those uh, October, November into December temperatures are more optimal for those larger fish to feed. And uh, that's really reflective in what we saw with the sizes of fish that anglers reported back to us. Whereas in the summer, it's more, those water temperatures are more conducive for smaller fish to feed. And uh, lo and behold, that's what we saw uh, anglers report to us as well, that the the average size of fish was much smaller when water temps were at their highest in uh, July, August, September. So some of these tagging things, you know, we hear a lot about, especially on the Missouri River system. You know, the, the walleye move from the dam, and as the season goes along, they move down the system, and you got to keep moving to catch them. Or, or if I, you know, in Skakawi, you hear the same thing. They're, they're all up in the upper reaches, and then by late they come, you know, down by garrison or something. Um, but that's not necessarily true when with some of our tagging. What's what's kind of the movement stuff that we've seen in in some of these longer systems like the Missouri River? Yep, that's a uh, it like I said, I while I certainly move, uh, and they they'll seek out, you know, the habitats that they need at different times of the year. You know, what a walleye needs for overwintering habitat, say in a riverine environment is something very different than it needs for spawning habitat or what might be a good feeding area in uh, you know May or June post-spawn. So uh, you know a walleye, uh, say overwintering in the Missouri River, is probably seeking out some deeper, uh, slow-moving current areas. Uh, that's just more energetically efficient for that fish uh, to be in a spot like that in the winter uh, when it's not as efficient at digesting food. Uh, its metabolism is slowed down. It just makes sense that a, a walleye at that time of year is seeking out lower current velocities and maybe a deeper water area. And then come April, that walleye is now seeking out, you know, uh, an area where uh, current uh, has removed some of the finer se sediments from a uh, potential good gravel uh, or cobble spawning area along the shoreline. So there that walleye now is seeking out, you know, a shallow water spawning area. So that's going to trigger some movement to that fish. And then... Uh, you know, when you get to post-spawn periods, that fish uh, might be looking, you know, we've got now got more wa optimal water temperatures for feeding for, say, a, you know, sexually mature fish, that now that fish might be looking for that kind of intermediate current velocity, intermediate depth area where the fish can hold itself in the current efficiently, but still have plenty of food items come drifting by it to, to take advantage of. So uh, the movement that we've seen in the, the Missouri River system, uh, the Missouri River, Lake Oahe, fishery in particular, is that, yeah, these fish move uh, to seek out, you know, the certain habitats at certain times of the year, but usually they're not moving very far. So during the Missouri River Lake Oahe tagging study, uh, we tagged 34,000 walleye, uh, one of the largest tagging studies uh, ever undertaken in the Dakotas for sure, and it's one of the largest tagging studies I'm aware of ever conducted in North America uh, that we worked with South Dakota Game Fish and Parks, uh, the North Dakota Game and Fish Department, obviously, and then uh, uh, through South Dakota State University as well, also had a hand in this, uh, tagging these 34,000 walleye between Garrison and Oahe dams. So that we've got a huge sample size, and uh, anglers reported about 9,000 of those fish back to us, just short of 9,000 fish uh, over the years. And about half of those fish uh, were recaptured by, that anglers reported back to us, were recaptured within 10 miles of where we tagged them. And about 90% of those fish were recaptured within 20 miles. So we did have some, uh, some fish that moved some pretty extraordinary distances. One fish that we tagged up in the Garrison Dam spillway channel was caught about 300 miles downstream. 
uh, near Oahe Dam. But that was really the exception. Uh, mm-hmm. Very few walleye did those kind of extreme movements. Uh, but, you know, a small number did. Uh, but generally, if you're going to say, you know, what are, what, what are walleye doing in the Missouri River Lake Oahe fishery, uh, they're kind of homebodies for the most part. They generally don't move very far from the location where we tag them. Again, you know, 50% of those fish move less than 10 miles, and 90% of those fish move less than 20. So, but they do, like I said, it, it's not to say that walleye don't move. They're certainly seeking out different habitats uh, at certain times of the year. But, uh, yeah, there's not uh, this wave of walleye moving yeah. up or down reservoir, uh, yeah, so to speak. Sometimes talking to people, it sounds like they think it's like a waterfall migration. <laughs> Right. You know, moving, all of them are leaving and moving to this new spot. And it's like, well, no, it's right. water temperatures or whatever is changing, and now they're biting here and not over there. Right. You know? So in the spring, uh, the the cold water releases out of Garrison Dam, say, are, they're going to be like 38-degree water coming out under the frozen lakes of Kakawea. And if it's a nice kind of March, April day, those water temps are going to keep continually warm up as the Missouri River flows downstream. And at the same time, you've got the colder, deeper waters of Lake Oahe that are going to take longer to warm up. So Lake Oahe is going to be coldest kind of towards Oahe Dam and towards Garrison Dam in the spring and warm up in both directions, kind of north from Oahe Dam and south uh, out of Garrison Dam. And where that intersection typically happens in the spring is in that kind of Hazleton-Fort Rice area in the headwaters of Lake Oahe. So it's no secret that that's where some of the best fishing is in the whole region right after uh, right as spring arrives is in that Hazleton Fort Rice area kind of uh, uh, stereotypically that's where you can count on some really good fishing uh, and some of the best fishing in the region and the reason for that is that's where we have some of the warmest water temperatures right away in the spring and then from there as the spring progresses uh, our water temps warm in both kind of an upstream and downstream direction in a more optimal fashion for those walleye to cooperate with anglers. So we have this bite kind of progressing from that Hazleton-Fort Rice area up towards Bismarck, and at the same time kind of progressing down towards Beaver Bay. So you get kind of that, you know, you know the classic bite on the Missouri River Lake Oahe system is kind of that mid-May to late-May time frame. You can have some really good fishing in both Bismarck and Beaver Bay at the same time. And then a couple of weeks later, it's a great time to fish down at Cattail Bay and maybe up at the Steckle Boat Landing north of town. And then you get into kind of that late June time frame. That's when Langlers often, often offers its best fishing near the North Dakota-South Dakota border. And at the same time, uh, that's when I'd probably pick to fish the Washburn area. Mm-hmm. So we get this simultaneous kind of upstream and downstream progression of when uh, the fish are best cooperating with anglers. So, like I said, you know, a, a fair question anglers, I guess, have, have posed over the years is, well, are the fish moving then, or is it temperature? Right. But the, the tagging study we've you know, conducted on the Missouri River Lake Oahe fishery suggests that those fish are more staying put. Uh, like I said, uh, about half of the walleye that we tagged, uh, or that anglers report, the tagged fish that anglers reported to us uh, during the Missouri River Lake Oahe tagging study were caught within 10 miles where they were tagged about 90% of those fish were caught within 20 miles of where they were tagged. So our tagging study gives us really good information to say that it's not the fish moving with these water temperatures, mm-hmm. it's the water temperatures moving uh, to where to, the fish are. To where the fish are, and then those fish that tend to be more homebodies are more likely to cooperate with anglers when those water temperatures are more conducive to those fish biting. Mm-hmm. So and it, 
that one of the things I really enjoy about being a fisheries biologist is getting to use our electrofishing boat and our trap nets and gill nets to see what's out in these lakes. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's pretty fascinating to see that as, uh, you know, in my line of work. But it's also one of the most frustrating things I experience as an angler yeah. is getting to oftentimes <laughs> see what's out there that just at certain times of the year I can't catch. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this year uh, we conducted our, our electrofishing survey. We do it annually of the Missouri River uh, right before the 4th of July. So early July uh, we're out there. And that's a time of year. I've never caught a nice fish myself on mm -hmm. the Missouri River, uh, Lake Oahe fishery. But right by the Fox Island boat ramp, well, we had a, a fish that was just over 28 inches, a walleye. Yeah. You know, that uh, you know, I and many other anglers you know, really struggle to, to catch that time of year. Uh, down at Fort Yates, we saw one that was just under 30 inches. Uh, so mm -hmm. the fish, are, are, our sampling gear tells us those fish are there. Uh, but uh, my angling says they're not, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately. So, yeah. yeah, that's interesting. I know a lot of people will see our, our netting reports or, or something, you know, that we put out. And it's kind of like, at that lake, that's what they saw? Really? Crazy, I know. You know. Yeah, yeah. That's a, right, a good segue maybe to talk about the other big player in here too, which is I think anglers are, explains what anglers see in this pattern, even in a place like the Missouri River in Lake Oahe, and that, that, that's hormones and how hormone levels in members of the perch family of fish and your walleye, sauger, perch uh, influence along with water temp when these fish are, are most likely to cooperate with anglers. So we'll uh, they jump into that. So one of the one of the neat things about uh, uh, what we call the female version of estrogen in the in walleye and the walleye version of testosterone in male walleye is they have opposite effects on appetite. So when a female walleye uh, starts developing eggs, say that which usually a process that starts kind of in late October here in North Dakota. Uh, that's associated with elevated levels of estrogen. Makes a lot of sense. You know, that uh, as this fish develops eggs, uh, that increase in estrogen levels is what triggers that egg, egg production. And estrogen is an appetite enhancer uh, in walleye. So when estrogen levels are elevated, that walleye is uh, more likely to feed, uh, which is something definitely of interest to an angler. Yeah. <laughs> the more likely a walleye is to feed, the, more, the higher the demand for food in that fish, the more uh, feeding events it undergoes is all more opportunity for that fish to end up on the end of your line. So hormone levels, again, are el el become elevated in late October and remain elevated through the spawn. So that leads to those fish having a, a, a higher appetite and being more likely to cooperate with anglers. And female walleye tend to be our larger fish as well. So uh, that uh, uh, really illustrates what would be a good time for anglers to target some of these bigger fish. Uh, that when female walleye have that elevated appetite from fall through the following spring. Uh, testosterone in male walleye, on the other hand, like I said, is an appetite suppressant. So when testosterone's become elevated again in late fall, early winter in these male walleye, that actually decreases their appetite and decreases their appetite through the spring. So we've got these opposite effects uh, in, in male and female uh, of male and female uh, sex hormones in walleye that in females elevate their appetite and in males decrease their appetite. So then male walleye in or post-spawn, their testosterone levels drop. And that, like I said, an appetite suppressing <laughs> level of testosterone <laughs> drops, all of a sudden their appetite increases. Uh, and our males tend to be our smaller fish. So at that same, you know, so we've got this opposite effects in, in male and female uh, appetite-driven hormone levels. 
that female walleye tend to cooperate best for anglers then fall through spring. Uh, male walleye are less likely to cooperate fall through spring, but are more likely to bite the end of your line in uh, the summer months when their testosterone levels are at their lowest. Which explains why a lot of times when we're catching fish throughout the winter, whether it's perch or walleyes, a lot of times you're catching them with some sort of eggs in them. Right, absolutely. You know? The perch are a really good example. I mean, it's I've never kept track of it personally, but for sure, I mean, you're well over 90% of the perch <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I catch in the winter are, are females producing eggs. Uh, and that's really a hormonal-driven uh, phenomenon that those, similar to the walleye, those female perch have a much higher uh, uh, energy demand, uh, appetite, and undergo many more feeding events in the winter than, say, a male perch does uh, that's experiencing the, the negative uh, or appetite-suppressing effects of testosterone. Which makes a little sense because when you catch one of those perch that's so full of eggs, it's like, man, they put on like a third of their body mass just in eggs, so they, that takes a lot of energy. Oh, absolutely. And that, one of the other neat things about uh, elevated levels of estrogen is that's been associated with uh, better food conversion efficiency too. So that, that female walleye with elevated estrogen levels is effectively converting more of what it consumes into growth and in size in eggs. Uh, than it does when estrogen levels are lower. So uh, pretty unique uh, yeah. evolutionary thing going on with, with our walleye there. And, and uh, yeah, and like I said, but th- what an effect that has on us as anglers, uh, it certainly makes those larger female fish uh, cooperate better for anglers at certain times of the years, fall through spring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Just out of curiosity, why, why the, like, is it just the numbers weren't as uh, prevalent in, like, January, February, March? Or what happens in that window, I guess, where? Uh, well, there, uh, it's, well, our temperatures are so far, I guess, what below what oh, would be okay. optimal gotcha. for, yep. for both fish to feed. They, uh, all fish tend to be, you know, a little bit more lethargic during the dead of winter. I mean, I'm, that's what my experience as an angler tells yes. me, too. <laughs> Oftentimes, January, February are, are kind of... Slow months for me as an ice fisherman, too. Uh, it seems to be a little more equal opportunity for some of the males and females to uh, both cooperate with anglers, but sometimes neither one cooperates very well, yeah. <laughs> in my experience. There, there's definitely something to be said for that midwinter lull. Uh, but, again, you know, that early ice and late ice tend to be some you know, pretty prime right. times for uh, targeting fish, and a lot of those, like I said, end up being your, your larger females. So, again, this is something that... Uh, that alkaline tagging study sheds, you know, you can put some real numbers behind. Uh, so in Alkaline Lake, uh, basically 30% of the walleye that we tagged in Alkaline Lake were sexually mature female walleye. In May and June, 44% of what anglers reported to us were sexually mature female walleye. So that quite, I mean, that really illustrates the effect of those estrogen hormones and that increased appetite on those large sexually mature female walleye cooperating for anglers in that uh, uh, April-May time period. And then again, we saw an, an uptick uh, again in the fall uh, that uh, a large proportion of the, larger proportion of those fish, uh, you know, more than 30% of those fish uh, were sexually mature female walleye. Whereas in the summer, you know, like I said, so April-May, 44% of what anglers caught or of the tagged fish that they caught were sexually mature fish. In the summer months, June or uh, sorry, July, August, September, only 27% of the tagged fish that anglers reported to us were those sexually mature fish. So it, it's really the, these elevated levels of hormones uh, and their opposite effects of uh, estrogen in females and testosterone in males 
coupled together with uh, this size uh, relationship uh, with temperature and when walleyes feed best, that bigger fish tend to feed better at cooler temperatures, smaller fish at warmer temperatures, really helps put this pattern together uh, of when anglers are more likely to catch larger fish spring and fall and when their catch is more likely to be dominated by smaller fish in, uh, during the summer months. So one thing that popped in my head talking about all this is, you know, a lot of times we hear we're catching too many big fish or we're catching too many little fish, not letting them get big. You know, you hear it on both sides. Um, But would you say as long as we're under that third ratio like we were in, say, Alkali Lake, Mm -hmm. then we're we're pretty good as far as the fish population is concerned? Right. I, I mean, history is a great indicator for that. You know, we've got such an extended, prolonged history of, of fishing uh, on the Missouri River system. I can't, oh, I wish I remembered this off the top of my head. In the 19, 1970-something, uh, you know, we opened the Missouri River system to year-round fishing. And uh, rightfully so, there are some anglers that, you know, voice some concern about that. You know, that might this impact uh, the health or the long-term sustainability of this fish population. But we're now... 50, close to 50 years later, and you know, we had our, our state record broken you know, a couple of times uh, mm-hmm. in the last few years. Uh, we're growing some really nice walleye. It's every spring. Fishing's fantastic. We certainly hear from a few anglers uh, you know, every year that are, you know, uh, we appreciate that concern from anglers, certainly mm-hmm. that you know, are maybe concerned about the, the number of larger female walleye that may be vulnerable to harvest. But uh, like I said, history is such a good indicator that the way anglers are currently utilizing, say, the Missouri River, Lake Oahe fishery, uh, is compatible with, you know, producing those trophy fish consistently. Mm-hmm. And, you know, anglers still love taking some walleye home for the frying pan. I think that's something we all enjoy. They're, they're you know, very tasty fish, and yeah. uh, that's part of the angling experience for so many folks, too. So, uh, but our current statewide regulations at five fish daily limit, no length restrictions, uh, we've still got great trophy opportunity out there. We've got an, uh, a, you know, a walleye population now that is a little bit more dominated by those smaller fish, but there's good reason for that too. Uh, we've, we've had uh, suppressed forage conditions out there in the Missouri River, Lake Oahe, really since the 2011 flood. And at the same time, in five of the last seven years, we've had really good walleye reproduction. So that's a, that's a bad mix. Uh, we're, a little, yeah. we're a little out of balance there, for sure, with what Mother Nature's given us. So the Missouri River Lake Oahe fishery is, is maintained through natural reproduction. So Mother Nature has given us a few more fish, really, than the forage base uh, can support out there. So that's why anglers might notice a lot of those smaller, skinny fish out there uh, that uh, are, are exhibiting some pretty slow growth. Uh, like I mentioned a little bit ago, you know, average rate of growth for walleye in North Dakota is hitting about, you know, hitting that 15-inch mark at about three years of age. In the North Dakota portion of Lake Oahe, those walleye are now taking about five years to hit 15 inches. And in the Missouri River above Lake Oahe, those fish are taking about six years to hit 15 inches. So wow. definitely, that's a, a sign of uh, definitely some suppressed forage numbers out there and uh, slower growth of those walleye as a result. So... Uh, it's a weird thing to wish for as a fisheries biologist, but we got our fingers crossed for some poor reproductive success on our walleye right now. <laughs> we got enough mouths to feed out there. It'd be yeah. nice to uh, get the, wa- the existing walleye in this fishery, uh, a few more groceries to go around. So we don't need any more fish at this time. Yeah, yeah. yeah and it looked like coming into this spring, we were going to have some fairly low water levels in some of this system, but right. the and Yellowstone kind of saved us in some ways as much as it wrecked upstream. 
It did. Yeah, it's a, a, a certainly a, a mixed blessing, I guess you could call it that. And that we these lower water levels uh, on our Missouri River system reservoirs typically are associated with some higher uh, mortality rates in our walleye. So uh, uh, Lake Sakakawea is in much better shape than Lake Oahe is right now, uh, forage fish-wise. Uh, our guys were just doing the, their smelt hydroacoustic survey here uh, in the end of August and haven't exactly crunched all the numbers yet, but preliminarily it looks like smelt numbers are pretty good in, in Lake Sakakawea, and I think that's reflective in what anglers are seeing up there as well, too, is some pretty fat, happy walleye. Mm-hmm. Uh, very different here on, on Lake Oahe right now. Uh, that for, We're dealing, definitely dealing with some, some forage issues down here. But these lower water levels uh, under these kind of forage conditions are associated with higher mortality rates. So it's going to be some short-term pain, hopefully for some longer-term gain uh, mm-hmm. on the Missouri River Lake Oahe fishery, where Mother Nature is going to take a few of these walleye out of the picture for us. Uh, which should leave more groceries around for the remaining fish. And then uh, what we're seeing out there is um, what I'm really excited about this fall is looking at all the hab- pheasant habitat yeah. we have yeah. uh, on the, you know, the North Dakota portion of Lake Oahe. So mm-hmm. uh, to try and put a silver lining on everything is yeah. uh, what, uh, what we lost in maybe some fish habitat, we're getting back in some deer and mm-hmm. pheasant habitat. But that's going to be short-lived, you, know, you hope as well, that uh, Mother Nature will turn on the faucet, uh, we'll flood some of that great pheasant habitat, which really fuels the food cha- or the whole food web uh, mm-hmm. of Lake Oahe. That's kind of the, the rising tide that lifts all ships yeah. is uh, flooding that terrestrial habitat like we saw happen in 2009 and the immediate impacts that uh, that had to the, the quality of our fishing here in North Dakota, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, good stuff. Well, yeah, speaking of pheasants and fall, I guess any other uh, fall fishing like tips or anecdotes for anyone out there trying to find some of those big walleyes? Well, I mean, knowing that you're, uh, that spring and fall like that are, are better opportunities for targeting some of those bigger fish. Uh, one of the things anglers might want to keep in mind is that walleye typically prefer forage items that are about a quarter, sometimes up to a third their body length and size. So, that's one thing I typically do in the fall is I definitely increase uh, uh, the size of the lures or baits that I'm, I'm fishing th- for those walleye with. And that does tend to provide an opportunity to hook some of those bigger fish for sure. So, I mean, if you've if you're got your fingers crossed for that 24-inch walleye uh, uh, to take your bait, you know, having something, you know, 6, 8-inch uh, <laughs> is in size out there really isn't out of the question. Mm-hmm. And then uh, one thing I do too as uh, – Water temperatures might be, you know, in those, say, you know, mid to low 60 degree range, which is about optimal for those fish to be feeding here. That you know, A lot of times you hit those temps in, say, early October. Uh, but as long as there's open water, you know, I tend to still have my boat on the water. Uh, but then, you know, you might be into early December fishing water temps that are only in the 30s. So as that progression happens, going from the, you know, the 60 degree range down to the 30 degree range, I really slow down how aggressive I'm fishing. So uh, one of my favorite tactics for, you know, targeting these small walleyes and especially in some of our prairie lakes for sure is casting suspended crankbaits or suspending crankbaits. And uh, when the water temps are in the 60s, I'm reeling fast, I'm popping and twitching and, you know, really fishing those baits aggressively. Whereas you get into, you know, 30 degree water temps, it's a lot slower retrieve, a lot of pauses and that uh, really seems to... uh, Keep the success going as yeah. uh, as fall progresses. That uh, you really got to slow down what you're doing as as water temps decrease, and then always keep safety in mind too. Uh, with uh, fall fishing, uh, uh, even some 
fairly good athletes, <laughs> whatever you might think of uh, your current physical status, you fall into really cold water. That could be a real struggle uh, getting to shore or getting back into your boat. So uh, a lot of us uh, get a little bit lax maybe with wearing our, our life jackets in the summer, but uh, uh, make sure that life jacket that you might fit well over your t-shirt in the summer might fit a little better over your parka. Uh, it still fits over your parka in the winter uh, when mm-hmm. it's pretty cold out there to, to, to make sure you got something suitable in the boat. Yeah. So as far as, you know, we talk a lot about walleyes, is there any other kind of fish that, well, do they all kind of prime up for biting as you get late like that? I know pike can a little bit. Yep, absolutely. That's a, it can be a really good time for targeting pike. Uh, uh, a lot of folks do that in the, the larger embayments on both Lake Oahe and Lake Sakakawea. That that's uh, a great time for, for targeting those pike in a really fun way, you know, doing a lot of casting, mm-hmm. uh, really active way of fishing. Uh, but they're still, uh, you know, fishing under a bobber for pike at that time of year can be really effective as well. So, but yeah, northern pike are notoriously, uh, are notorious for biting at some of those cooler water temps too in spring and fall. So, yeah, don't forget about our pike for sure. There's some really phenomenal opportunity, you know, all corners of the state for our northern pike fisheries as yeah. well. We've got some big ones in this state too, if you, can, if you can find them, that's for sure. Right. I mean, obviously there's a few fisheries around the state, obviously the Missouri River system, uh, I mean, Lake Chida, Devil's Lake, uh, Jamestown, Pipestem, Ashtabula have a history of producing some of those nicer pike as well. Uh, but it, it's amazing. Some of our, you know, we get whopper reports occasionally out of places you would never expect them for some of these uh, larger pike as well. So there could be some yeah, great opportunity for some larger fish right in your backyard too. Yeah. I met one time in the spring, my wife caught a 42-inch pike in Skakawea, and it was right as the ice was going out. And it took her long enough to get it in that her boots were stuck in the mud. <laughs> so once we got the fish in, I had to lift her up out of her boots, take her back up shore, and go back and get her boots because they were stuck <laughs> in there. So. Well, I hope we got a picture of the pike and <laughs> yeah, the boots, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, Paul. I'm sure we'll have you on again at some point to talk some more fishery stuff. But, uh, yeah, we appreciate that little Mythbusters episode there. <laughs> well, thanks. I'm happy to be here. Casey, you got any department droppings for us this week? Well, we're, we're probably coming up on uh, resident waterfall opener as this is coming out. And so if, you, if you're planning on doing that, make sure you got everything ready to go. Um, we may be in the youth deer season still, but that's uh, through September 25th. So we might have a chance yet to go out and help some youth harvest their Harvest their deer. We got October 1st youth pheasant opener and non-resident waterfall opener as well. So that'll be coming up before our next episode. And then, yeah, with waterfall season, they're on the corner, both residents and non-residents. Just again, a reminder to continue to follow those ANS best practices, clean, drain, dry, um, including waterfall boats and canoes and waders, decoys, and even dogs. Otherwise, I don't think we've got anything else this week. So, again, just subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Give it a listen. Um, Let us know, again, if there's something you'd like to hear from us on. And just enjoy your time outdoors this weekend.